Hi, welcome to the podcast for Rock Hill Church. We're a spiritual community committed to being and making disciples in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ here in Lawrence, Kansas. Here you'll find recent sermons and meaningful conversations on living and learning the way of Jesus. We hope this podcast encourages you, inspires you, and reveals the work of God in and around you. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Been on this mini journey with plants. Okay, I've always kind of joked that I have a black thumb. I was born with a black thumb. Even though I grew up in a family that always had gardens, I just have this amazing knack for killing plants. So I love them, though. Like I, I will still give it a good try. But like the first house that I lived in after graduation, I had a little patio garden that my roommate came to refer to as my plant graveyard because <laughs> it was like where plants went to die. Um, and you can kind of see, um, uh-oh. All right. Um, you can kind of see this is like my home currently too. <laughs> so some plants die of neglect. You can see the chives up there. Um, they died of neglect, and then some plants, my snake plant there, is currently dying of too much love. I like watered it too much, so it has a little case of root rot right now. Um, but I have learned a thing or two over the years, I am happy to say, um, and, and that began really about 10 years ago, was like my first actually successful garden. Um, and the first most successful thing I would say I ever grew were zinnias. And I love zinnias, these flowers um, that do great in the south. You can neglect them. They're very hardy. Um, they could live through some um, drought days. And um, I remember being amazed that like zinnia seeds are just these tiny wisps of a thing. Um, and it really amazed me that you could like stick these in the ground and miracle of miracles, something would grow. And um, I found that the Lord really has taught me a lot through gardening specifically. And so zinnias in particular have become sort of this annual um, sacrament in a way for me, an annual reminding of my heart that like it's my job to plant the seed and that God is the one who causes growth um, and that this is a partnership of us together. So if you follow me on social media, you've probably seen posts like this before. This is 2018, and I'm like, yay, the zinnias are blooming, and it's very exciting. Um, and then last year, you know, I kind of feel like God teaches me something new each year through the zinnia planting. Last year, um, you know, I came to a place, the house that I live in, the garden beds are very shaded, and so um, I was like, man, the zinnias really need some sunlight. And so um, Joelle and Stephen came over last year and helped me dig out a new garden in the backyard. And we planted the zinnias. It was like the most successful zinnia planting I have ever had. Um, so shout out to Joelle and Stephen. Thank you very much for your help. Um, the zinnias had a bumper crop last year. Oh, Jeremy, it's not going. There, okay. So last year, huge, huge crop, huge success. It was awesome. Um, and then this year, this year has been probably like the most surprising year yet. Um, you know, I always, these days, start zinnias from seeds indoors. So like you have to plant them back every year. 
So I started the Xenia Seeds indoors this year, and honestly, it was just like not very successful. I did something a little different than I normally do, and it was not great. And there was that like couple of weeks that it was really rainy too, and that was really when I needed to put them in the ground, but there was just not a like, time frame to do it. Um, and so I was concerned. I was like, man, I might have to go to the store and like buy plants, and they usually don't do as well. Um, and then in May, I went outside. Oh, we'll go back. I went outside and I noticed there were like these little sprouts in the backyard. Um, so a little backstory. This winter, I like didn't clear out my garden beds as soon as I should have, and um, so it was like deep winter before I cleaned out the, the zinnia beds. Oh, that looks bad. It looks better on the back wall, I'll say, <laughs> if you want to look there. Um, so I like waited too long to clear out the garden beds, and I think what happened is that like the, the old zinnia plants actually seeded the ground, um, and they came up in May. So like the seeds that I had grown inside utterly failed, okay? Um, and, and God grew some zinnias in my backyard. But you'll notice, where are they growing primarily? Outside of the garden, okay? So I had a choice to make. I'm like, what do I do about this? Like, do I put them in the garden? Do I just let them grow? You know, we have people who come and mow our yard, so do I just, like, let them mow down the zinnias? Um, and so, and they're not just right here. They're actually, like, scattered across the yard, okay, beyond what you can see. Um, and so this was, like, a really weird moment. And at first I'm like, maybe these are weeds. You know, I feel like a lot is revealed about my heart in this process. I'm like, surely these are weeds and this is like not something good. Um, but fast forward a little bit and um, you get into July. I went on vacation. I come back to this. Okay. So the zinnias are growing like crazy um, and all over the place. Um, go to the next slide, Jeremy. So I'd actually... Uh, locked the mowers out of the backyard <laughs> so that they couldn't, um, so that they couldn't like mow down the zinnias until they could see that they were flowers. So I, you can see like the grass is really like hairy at this point. The grass got like almost knee high, um, and then I let them back in. And to to their credit, the mowers have like not mowed down my flowers, um, and I found it like just hysterical because I feel like. This is really the work of God in my life, not just in my backyard, but like really in my heart so often too. You know, I am big on effort. I like to try really hard and um, see results. And so it was just so appropriate um, that God would show me, you know, when your efforts fail, okay? Um, he, is, he is gracious and he's kind. Um, but then he's also not super easily controlled, right? <laughs> um, those, those flowers are growing all over my yard. So I see like just grace upon grace of God in my life, um, but also the need for humility, dependence, allowing, you know, at first I wasn't sure they were weeds or flowers, and I just had to let them grow and see, and it was uncomfortable. Um, and that is just so often the way that he has worked in my life. Be like, I'm not sure you can do this. Like, can you let flowers grow in the middle of your yard? Is that a thing? Um, 
but that is um, the work that he's done. Um, and I've seen it in my, in my life especially. You know, being here in front of you is like deeply uncomfortable for me as well. Even though I talk in front of you all of the time. Um, so the Lord has been showing me, you know, like this is, this is the work that I'm doing. Um, so am I going to allow him to work? Um, has been a question for my heart. So in today's passage, we are also going to read about Jesus making people uncomfortable. Um, and you know, he was really good at that. Um, I have recruited some readers to help me with this part. So if you want to head up this way, and I'll give you a little background about this passage. So we're going to be in John 7, 25 through 52. And Jesus has gone up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles was one of those um, annual feasts that God had um, instituted for his people, and it was to be a reminder of this, um, you know, the 40 years that um, his people spent wandering in the desert after he brought them out of Egypt. Um, so it was at the end of the harvest time that people have just finished harvesting, food is abundant, wine is abundant, and um, it's a reminder to them who brought them to that place, who provided for them. Um, and as part of the festival, they had to live in these temporary shelters. So they were supposed to build little shelters like they lived in in the wilderness and live in those for a week. And um, it was a time to remember God's faithfulness. So remembering God's faithfulness during that time of wilderness wandering, but then also looking forward to... Um, their permanent forever home with God, remembering that this too is a temporary season um, and that we are bound for um, an eternal home. And so um, part of the tradition is, uh, you know, during the wilderness wanderings, there were a couple of instances in which God provided water for his people from a rock. So Moses would hit the rock and, um, water would gush out um, when the people were really thirsty. And so as part of their tradition during this festival, they would scoop out water from the pool of Siloam, walk it into the temple courtyard, and dump it there um, on the pavement or on the rock um, as a reminder of God's provision of water in the desert. So keep that in mind. That'll play a part in this section of scripture. So I have some lovely volunteers here. Um, and we're just going to read the passage. I might make a little bit of commentary, um, but keep, this, keep that setting in the back of your mind um, as we are listening to the scripture. One thing that I love about this passage is that you'll see there's a lot of confusion and discomfort about who Jesus is, but he really rises above the identity politics of the moment, and he makes his message I say clear, it wasn't clear to everyone, um, but he's making an invitation. So I want you to listen um, to what that invitation is. So we'll look at John 7:25. At that point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from when the Messiah comes. No one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, 
Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here in my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you, only f- I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? So I found this line interesting because clearly they have some um, understanding of his reputation of being a friend of the Gentiles, right? Because they're saying, well, is is he going to go back among the Gentiles and preach, preach to the people there? So on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, um, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still, others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, um, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are Pharisees, um, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied, You mean he deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, so you remember our friend Nicodemus from John 3, the the, um, born-again fellow. Um, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. All right. Thank you very much, volunteers. Okay, so there is a lot going on in this passage. um, And I wish that we could spend a lot more time exploring the ins and outs. Um, But, like I said, what I really appreciate the most about it is that despite all of this swirling controversy, 
Um, if we look at the words of Jesus, he does have a central message. Um, ew, that was working. Um, and the message from Jesus um, is really an invitation, okay? And um, if I had to sum it up in one, one phrase, it would be this. You know, Jesus' consistent message is that he is inviting us into a relationship with God. Um, and it requires humility, dependence, and faith. Um, so we're going to take a closer look at that message. Um, and there are three things I want us to look at about this invitation. First, it's an invitation for the thirsty. It's those who recognize their need. Um, second, it's an invitation by faith into relationship with the triune God. When I say triune God, it just means we as Christians believe that God is three persons. Um, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the last point we'll talk about is that many did, and today will, uh, miss out on the invitation because they didn't recognize Jesus. Um, so if you're not getting all these down, that's okay, because we'll, we will talk about each one of those a little more in depth. Um, and the first one, it's an invitation for the thirsty. So remember, the context here is that um, festival, and they're, they're reflecting on, I imagine Jesus is, you know, preaching in the temple, and he's watched them dump this water onto the ground, and they're remembering um, being a thirsty people in the desert. Um, and this, so these are sort of the images that Jesus is playing on. And I want to zero in on that, the, that scripture in particular because um, if we could go back one, um, oh, go forward one, JK. Um, uh, I want to zero in on verses 37 through 39 in particular because um, it's sort of presented as the climax of the story. He's saying, this is the most important day of the festival, and Jesus gets up to preach, and this is what he says. He is saying, come to me, you who are thirsty. Um, come and believe and drink in me, okay? And so that thirst, uh, sometimes the clicker works and sometimes it does not, um, that thirst that he is describing is um, hitting on that thirst in the desert. So imagine the people in the desert dying of thirst, and this is, this is the image that is being set for us. Um, and this passage, there we go. That's, oh, that is not what I want, JK. <laughs> go for it a little bit. Um, there we are. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, um, rivers of living water will flow from deep within. Okay. Um, what I love about this passage is that it's mirroring Isaiah 55. And several of the things that Jesus says mirror Isaiah 55, um, which says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Um, why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. 
Okay, so we see Jesus also in similar situations. We see him already in John 4.13. We saw him talking to the Samaritan woman. We see him again in John 6 when he talks about being the bread of life. And in both cases, he says, come to me and I will give you water that is going to satisfy you, that you will never be thirsty again. Um, and so I think for us, if, if I were to like take a poll, um, how many of you feel thirsty for God? Um, I think there are a lot of times in my life that I would have said like, eh, I mean, maybe I'm thirsty, but I don't know that I'm really thirsty for God. Um, how many of you grew up singing like, as the deer panteth for the water in church? Um, which I think for a lot of us, that's not necessarily like the most relatable songs in all moments of life, right? As the deer panteth for streams of water. And like, I don't really have much relation to deer and I... Um, I might not recognize my thirst for water, but um, if I were to ask you, how many of you um, feel like you have been wandering in a desert? Um, you feel like you're in a season that will never end, um, that is hard and there seems to be no, no end to the hardness of it. Um, I bet there are a lot of you who would say yes. Um, and that is the thirst that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you who are um, hurting, confused, hungry, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He's saying, come to me. Um, that is the thirst that he is talking about, recognizing your need for him. And the thing is, while we, have, we are like really inventive at coming up with ways to ignore or pacify that thirst, Jesus is speaking to that hunger and that thirst in us um, and he is saying, you are chasing after things that will never satisfy you. They cannot. Um, and he's saying, come to me. I am the one who meets that need, okay? So second, um, it's an invitation by faith into relationship with the Trinity. I think we are past where we need to be. So go up one more, maybe. Nope, other way. Okay, um, other way, one more. Other way. We're past where we need to be. Keep going. There we go, okay. Um, so he invites them into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, first, the Father. We see this a lot of times in John where Jesus is connecting um, himself to the Father, and he says, um, you know me and you know where I'm from, but I'm not here on my own authority um, because he, he who sent me is true. And you don't know him, but I know him because I'm from him. So we see Jesus say this a lot. We say he's, I'm not here on my own authority. I'm not speaking my own words. I'm from the Father. Um, so one of the central tenets of the Christian faith is we believe in the reality of one true God who existed before time, um, who was the creator of heavens and earth, the heavens and the earth, um, in the Trinity. And Jesus is connecting himself with the Father. So his invitation is, you come to me, and I am the pathway to the Father. All right, next. I don't know why I'm still holding this clicker. It does nothing. Um, he invites them into a relationship with God through the Son. Um, so he's saying, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You know, so we believe that 
Jesus is the pathway to God, and he gives that to us in John 14, 6 as well, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so we believe as Christians that Jesus, um, who came to the earth, God in the flesh, uh, made a way to God, made a way into relationship with God um, through his death on the cross, and he is the one who shows us who God is right? <clears throat> and so when we believe in Jesus, and he says that, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, um, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Um, and so we recognize that when we come to Jesus, we come to him on his terms and not our own, right? Um, he says that um, we have to believe he is who he says he is. We have to learn to walk in his ways and become like him. Um, we have to be with him. That's sort of like inherent in the coming, right? When we come, we are with him, and we learn life under him. We learn his ways of living. And one of the important keys or tools for doing that is the Spirit. Um, and that's what he points to in this passage. You know, he says, um, and thankfully John <laughs> interprets for us that the rivers of living water flowing from within them was given to um, demonstrate who the Spirit is. So by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Um, so up until that point, the Spirit had not been, yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so this, the relationship with Jesus is what allows us to participate in life with the Spirit. Um, and he describes um, that life of the Spirit as living water flowing from within us, which I found interesting because I'm like, when I think about what water is, water is the very source of life, and this is what he's saying the Spirit is for us. You know, if you think about water, like, we can't live but a few days without water as human beings. And so I think it's significant that he says the Spirit um, is like this living water that flows within us. Um, so quickly, the next slide. Um, I made a quick, this is like a quick list of things that the scriptures say about the Spirit. The Spirit teaches us and guides us, helps us, bears fruit, making us more like Jesus, counsels us and gives us wisdom, gives us power and boldness to share God's truth, speaks through us, gives abundant life and is a promise of eternal life brings conviction, and helps us to interpret scripture. So this life with God, um, this life walking in the way of Jesus, is not possible without the Spirit. But this is the gift that he gives us um, to help us live this abundant life that Jesus has called us to. And you know, I think in this word-centered stream that we live in as evangelicals, um, we like to pay lip service to the, the Spirit, but if I'm honest, it's like, the most uncomfortable um, member of the Trinity for a lot of us, including myself. Um, and I think of, you know, the words that we looked at in John 3 earlier, um, do not be amazed. Um, this is as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, don't be amazed that I say to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So saying the spirit is not controllable and that makes me really uncomfortable because I am someone who like I enjoy certainty. Um, in fact, I am fairly sure that 
If I had lived in the time of Jesus, I can say with all certainty I would have been a Pharisee. Definitely, okay? Um, and that's a little embarrassing to admit, but I enjoy certainty. I enjoy right answers. I enjoy knowing this is black and this is white. Um, you know, in the story of the prodigal son, I identify most deeply with the oldest brother um, because that is just what is in me. Um, and I think that's why many did miss Jesus. You know, and that's the third point I wanted to raise. Many did miss Jesus. And one reason for that, um, going back to Isaiah 55, which reflects what Jesus is saying, he says, you go to the next slide. Um, like in John 7, 33, Jesus says, you'll look for me, but won't find me. And that's kind of mirroring what he says in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while, he's while he is near. Um, so he's saying there, there are people who will miss him. One, because they just wait too long. Um, you might think that you're promised tomorrow, or this is something I'm just going to put off because it's uncomfortable to think about. And he's saying, now is the time, okay? Um, you're going to look for me and not find me, um, because you do not know that you have tomorrow, okay? Um, and then the second reason people will miss him um, is that in their pride, they fail to recognize Jesus. And this is also me, I will say, very oftentimes. He didn't fit their image um, of what they thought the Messiah should be like, okay? And you see that all throughout the passage. You're like, well, he, he doesn't come from... Bethlehem. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. When the Messiah comes, we won't know where he's from. Um, and, and some of those reasons are misinterpretations of scripture. But what really scares me is that the Pharisees were actually right, okay? They were right in saying that he should be from Bethlehem, you know? But Jesus, in this moment, he doesn't roll out his birth certificate. He doesn't give them proof um, of who he is. Um, he speaks to their greatest need, you know, and he extends that invitation. And that's uncomfortable to me because I so like certainty, right? Um, I'm with the Pharisees and, like, I want to identify, like, what is, what is the right thing? Um, reading this passage, I was reminded of what we already read in John 5, 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So I find it absolutely terrifying that you can know the scriptures, you can know the word and not know God. And for the Pharisees, they knew the word and they 100% missed the word made flesh standing right in front of them. Um, and for me, that's really a scary option because I know that tendency is in me as well. Um, so go on to the next slide, Jeremy. Um, these were my zinnias yesterday. They're still kind of growing out of control. You can see them, again, better on the back wall if you want to turn around. Um, you can kind of see there are some in the foreground. There are also some, there's that big bush I wish that I had been standing beside it for perspective because they come about up to my shoulders. That's how tall they are. Um, and I love that they're a reminder to me of um, 
the good thing that God grew. You know, um, I wish I could say, like, I put a single one of these in the ground, but I did not. Um, but it's been a reminder to me that he's always at work, whether I see it or understand it, um, he is there. Um, so I kind of wonder what the work of God might be in your life today. You know, are you thirsty? Are you tired? Are you weak? His invitation to you is to come. Are you confused? Are you unsure what to make of Jesus, what to make of circumstances? His invitation is to come to him. Um, are you curious but skeptical? His invitation is to come and believe. And are you confident and sure? I think, I think he has a caution for us, but his invitation again is to come and be with him and to walk by faith, not by our own certainty and sight. So I know that there are a lot of tired and hurting and confused people in this room this morning. And so I want to leave you with an encouragement that God is a God of redemption. And there are a couple of passages I want us to look at together. The first is um, Revelation 21. And Revelation is the book of the Bible that kind of forecasts the future. Um, and so it's a book of, of prophecy and John is writing and he is having this vision of God on his throne. Um, and he says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of life. So again, his invitation is still to the thirsty, and he's saying, this water is for you, okay? The promise is the same. Come to me, acknowledge your need for me, and I will give you the free gift of life. Um, and the second invitation is echoed again in the final chapter in Revelation 22, the final chapter of the Bible, when it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. So I love these invitations, and that, I think, is God's invitation for us today. Wherever you are at, his invitation is to come to him. Um, but it does require, like, some measure of discomfort, right? Um, I always think of, um, oh gosh, I go to Orange Theory, and... Um, you know, you, we do exercises kind of based on our heart rate. And so they'll often say things like, okay, you were getting into that really uncomfortable zone now. And that, like, I, I don't love hearing those words. Um, but it's true. Like, it takes, it takes that un discomfort to grow. And Jesus was constantly making people uncomfortable. Um, but just like our bodies and physical exercise and our spirits, if we're not allowing him to make us uncomfortable to search his word, to follow his spirit, like, then we're not growing too, you know? Um, and so that is, that has been his invitation and his work in my life recently. Um, and so I wanted to extend that invitation to you as well, because I think he does here. Um, he's saying come, but it's going to require faith. It's going to require humility and dependence on him. Um, 
And so I'm going to pose a couple of questions for your reflection. We're, I wanted to have time for us. To, I don't think we're going to have time for a few minutes. We're good? Okay. So I want to give you a few minutes. You can choose which one of these questions you want to sit with. And I want to give us some time to sit and reflect on what is keeping you from coming to Jesus and seeing your need for him. Okay. So for some of you, um, maybe you haven't, haven't fully committed your life. You haven't committed to following him. Um, and now is the time. He's saying, come to me, believe in me, um, follow my good way of life. Um, or what, are, what, what about the ways of Jesus would have made you uncomfortable if you were in the Jew's position? You're seeing Jesus in front of you. Um, maybe is there something in the Spirit's leading in your life currently that is meeting with resistance in you. Um, and three, what word of encouragement or exhortation may the Lord be wanting you to take away from this passage? Um, so some music is gonna play, and I just want us to spend a few minutes um, sitting with those questions, and then I'll come back to pray us out. <laughs> 